Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed. Blender HD, if you want to follow me on Twitter. And it's Tuesday, May 10th, here on the on the in the morning, right? Up, up and Adam, up and Adam. Give me those thumbs up buttons, right? You know, you know, you I like hitting hitting the thumb thumbs. Give me the thummy thumbs. I got my I got my ginger ale here. Uh, and in the morning, right, get my caffeine in. It's early. Hit the thummy thumbs, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell to know when we go live. I'm here, I'm here pretty much every day, right? Every day in the morning, the reviewing strategy, talking about stuff. Remember, this is the it's the DFS pregame show. It doesn't necessarily mean, you know, it's like, oh, just MLB or just, you know, review yesterday's slate or let's see what's going on in this slate or whatever. Sometimes we have an afternoon slate. Sometimes we'll build lineups for an early slate. Sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll do a lot of things here in the morning, but it's a primarily to answer your questions. So if you have any anything you want to talk about in the YouTube chat, you, you come you come first. A lot of people listen to this on the podcast feed. If you don't realize there is a podcast feed for this. <coughs> and we get thousands of downloads for it. And, uh, and people learn from the questions that you ask. But if you get here early in the morning, you're, you're, you're who, I, who I look at first, right? Suki Singh, Brett Booth, real life pitcher, Matt Mears, Neil Jaworski, kickstart, Alex Santi, Trey, right? Ginger Ale does have caffeine. Yes, it does, I believe. Does it not have caffeine? I, did, I, did I not realize that it, I thought it has caffeine. It's not caffeine free, right? It doesn't say caffeine. Oh, it does say caffeine free. Okay. Okay, it doesn't have caffeine. But feels like it should. Feels like it should. Yeah, maybe it doesn't. Okay, I, didn't, I never realized. Yeah, ginger ale, why would it have caffeine? I don't know. It, it wakes me up, right? Carbonated beverage, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. It's probably healthier than me than a Red Bull or something, right? I guess Alex is right. It doesn't, it doesn't have caffeine, right? How did I not know that? Yeah, it says caffeine-free right here. Okay, whatever. So I'm going to fall asleep during the show then, right? Yeah, Alex said, damn, I wrecked your placebo, whatever. As long as I'm up and at him. Typically, typically by the time I start the show, I, 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 I wake up. Right. So once I'm once I'm in the I'm good. Right. Right. Like yesterday, yesterday, uh, uh, Shoei Otani, right. Big game. Josh Naylor. Josh Naylor saved my ass. I, 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 had, I had a Cleveland uh, three, a three man with Josh Naylor in it. That that helped me cash the lineup. I made a little money yesterday because uh, uh, I had a Philly stack. I only played four lineups yesterday. I played one in the one twenty one and three in the eighty eight dollar one. I've been doing more of that on DraftKings and on fan, when I play on FanDuel, I don't mind playing the large field GPP, right? I'll probably play, I think, 60 or 70 lineups tonight on 12-game slate on FanDuel. But uh, stacks I played yesterday, I played primarily the Rays. Played the Rays, the Phillies, which helped me out, obviously, the Phillies. Uh, the, the Rays, the Phillies. I played one Dodgers stack. I played a, a Cleveland three-man with, with the Rays. That's the one that had Josh Naylor. And uh, what what else? Did I did I do a, what other team? Did I play any other team? No, I don't think so. I think it's mostly I was mixing everything around with the Rays. Uh, and yeah, the Rays didn't do that badly, right? Right, he had Margot, even though he came out of the game. Arena had a home run. Um, you know, Franco had enough points. I mean, it was a low-scoring slate in the beginning. And then just all of a sudden, the late games were all, you know, wacko. Uh but I mean, my pitchers, I, I primarily Gore and Urias, and they did really didn't score enough. Uh, but uh, but if yeah, if you had if you mixed the Phillies and the Angels, uh, you probably won yesterday. We see here in the large field GPP five man five two one, 
with Syndergaard and Quintana, which is a weird pitching combination. We have Goatfire here. Rodon and Blackburn with a four-man Phillies and then a bunch of one-offs. Uh, it always it always sucks when 37% Dalton Varsho gets 17 points, right? I basically that Miami and Arizona, I just I just X'd out uh in my line. And same for the same for San Francisco. I have, I had all of them uh overowned. And uh on, on especially it wasn't that small of a slate, but it was small enough where it's like, like I'm just gonna X, I'm just gonna X out the three highest owned teams and uh and play everything else uh other than that, right? Here's his five-man Philly stack. Right, because the Phillies were like low. Oh, look, four percent, four percent, five percent, seven percent. Castellanos was eight percent, right? And it's the Phillies, so why not? There we go. But it's Chris Flexen. He's really not a strikeout pitcher, so why the hell not? Of course, then by the eighth inning, they're substituting players, pinch hitting, and everything. So that sucked. Didn't get that last the bat out of some of them, but uh, but that did did pretty well. Uh, Philly, Philly, Philly was uh, like the fifth highest ceiling projected team, and they were going at you know because they were they were priced up a bit. Right. So like a lot, a lot of people were, were, were playing cheap, cheap, uh, Arizona, right. Cheap Arizona batch, cheaper, uh, Miami, San Francisco is cheap. Right. So it's like, okay, how, where can I spend up? And it's not like the Phillies were exorbitant, right. Other than like real Muto, Harper and Schwarber were like the, the expensive Phillies, but like some of these guys, Hoskins, 3,700, or some of these guys are under 4k. Cassianos was only 4,300. So, uh, so yeah, so, uh, so when I was running some lineups, so, you know, the Phillies were coming up from a ceiling perspective uh, higher than their ownership. So decided to play one, right? The Dodgers were about efficiently owned. A lot of people got off the Dodgers. So they came in a little bit lower. The top of the order, like Betts and Turner were, were higher owned, but I, I played a, a five-man stack without them in it. So I was playing Freeman, Tur- uh, D- D- Justin Turner, Chris Taylor, you know, like kind of that that type of that type of Dodgers lineup that didn't, didn't work out, but uh, that's primarily what I was doing. Uh, let's see, uh, Neil Jaworski attacking those SP twos. Well, on the, on this slate, I mean, this the slate yesterday, I didn't see two types. I think uh, Rodon, Urias, Woodruff. Obviously, the Reds got the Woodruff. Uh, I didn't want to attack Woodruff, but I, I was more inclined to it. I used Cleveland to attack Kopech. Although Cleveland, like the Cleveland players got there off the bullpen, not off of Kopech. Uh, I didn't mind, like Kopech wasn't going to be popular or anything like that, but also his pitch count tends to be lower. Like he's more, if he gets knocked out of the game, he may, he only may last three or four innings. So I don't mind that as much. So it was a choice of, do I play Kopech as low ownership or do I play the Indians because no one's going to stack against him. So I just decided on the Indians based on what was coming out in, in lineup HQ. Oh, let's see. Red Booth asks, is there a good projection site for WNBA? RG doesn't project, and on Discord, people were laughing about some other sites' numbers. Yeah, I I have no idea. I don't play WNBA. Uh, I don't believe we have WNBA projections, so uh, no clue. No clue. Good good luck with that. Good luck luck with it. Good luck projecting minutes, unless you really know WNBA. Uh. Trey said I had 75% uh, raise tax. Their ceiling was outra- outrageous. Their ownership was minimal. I don't know what they were on FanDuel. On, on DraftKings, they came in high, much higher than what was projected. Like Margot was 15%, at least in, the, in like the $88 contest. I don't know in the $15 contest. We can take a look here. Like, uh, let's see. Let's go to uh, the compare exposure. Just let's go to the filter by team. 
This is the 15. This is the large field GPP. Uh, Tampa Bay. Right. So, yeah, Brandon Lowe was 15. Margot was 12. Wander Franco was 11. Right. Brett Phillips was nine. So, like, especially if you had the bat projections, Tampa Bay projected very well. Uh, so, no, so they came in much higher in the large field contest. But this was about about the, the ownership. It was a little less, actually, in the in the $88 contest of the, of the single entry, 121. Like, like Wander Franco, I think, was like, like 10%. Low was like 12, Margot was 15, but like a Rosarino was like three. And Brett Phillips was five, right? Yandy Diaz was two or something, right? So the stack as a whole, like as long as you're not playing like Margot one-offs or low one-offs or something like that, the stack still was fine. But it, I, I knew that this was the, it was going to be higher than what was projected. I think, I think we had it like three or 4% don't stack. And I, I knew that was going to be high. Right, just based on the back projections, that uh, that people are going to get to them a little bit more than uh, what what we would predict them to. But I still thought they were good value otherwise, uh, and that I didn't mind playing. You know, a chalky pitcher. If, I, if I'm not playing Arizona with 37 percent on Dalton Varsho, I mean, I mean, let's take a look. Right, Varsho was 37 percent though. Turn and then then the next highest batter was Turner, Robert. Right, because I, I I didn't play the White Sox because they were going to be a little too chalky. Right, Tim Anderson was twelve percent. Right, I just looked basically looked at this and said, you know, I I'm going to x out the Marlins, the uh, the the Diamondbacks, uh, the White Sox. Uh, but if I'm going to play if I'm going to play a little bit higher on team, I'm going to play the Dodgers. But I'll just play them differently. Right, if I don't play Turner and Betts in the lineup, eighteen and fourteen, I, I could get a Dodgers stack at a similar ownership to like the Rays, and it's a, obviously a much better team. Uh, Brett Booth, how large of a slate has to have to you for to be to start Xing out higher owned teams? What if the higher stone team is still under owned by slate IQ? It's, it's, all, it's all relative to your own risk tolerance, right? If I was playing 150 lineups, I, I don't X out teams, right? Because, you know, I can make I can make plus EV lineups with any team. It just that yet if you're playing a high, if you're playing the Arizona, if you're playing an Arizona Dodgers lineup with Rodon and and Woodruff or something or Urias or whatever, you're gonna have to find some way to, to to get enough leverage. And there are ways and there are ways to do that. But when I'm playing four lineups, it's like no, it's just screw it. Like I'll take all the risk that I can. That that's the that's the misconception about risk management when it comes to the number of lineups that you make. People think in terms of loss aversion or needing to cash. So they go, well, I only have four lineups. I can't, I can't take a, I can't, I can't play. Philadelphia was off the board. I can't take a risk on that. I can't, oh, a stack against Woodruff with the Reds. What are you nuts? I only have four lineups. With 150, you could do that. To me, it's, I think the opposite way. The correct way is the opposite way. When you have 150 lineups and you start Xing out teams, if those are the teams that score 12 runs, you, you, you're, you're playing 150 lineups at $15 a piece, let's say on DraftKings, right? Something like that's $22.50. Let's say you X out teams completely. So none of your 150 have, have, have a team that goes off. Then your $22.50 turns into, you lose two grand on the slate, right? Because you have no, you didn't make any lineups that could, any lineup could be plus EV. You could still build those types of lineups. You may not have as many of the high owned stacks. You have some, and you mitigate a lot of that risk. You're, you're putting in 2250 for 150 lineups. Like 
maybe you should have a couple of even high owned stacks as long as you can get a different pitcher in there or something. When you play four lineups, you shouldn't be playing that. Why? Why would I want to play a Rodon Urias Dodgers uh, Diamondbacks lineup? Why would I want to do that? Right? I have four lineups. Like it's so. If I lose all four lineups, it's not. It's not the end of the world, right? The percentage of my it was three hundred and eighty five dollars, right? Compared to my bankroll, it's like it's less than a hat. It's less than what? It's like point one percent of my of my bankroll. What's 385? What a tenth of a percent? Uh, the, the, the half of it led very low. So I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna play as risky as possible, not as risky as possible within reason. Of course, playing the 121 and the three lineups in the 88, those are smaller field contests. They're not the smallest field, but they're still they're not they're not 30,000 inches. So I know I don't I don't need to like dudes like if this if Cincinnati went off on Woodruff. Like, it's quite possible that if another team, you know, the Angels and the Phillies go off, like, you don't even need the Reds, right? So you don't even have to worry. Oh, who has the, who's the, you know, the Reds in, in like 121 was like 1% owned, right? Drury and and and, uh, and Farmer and whoever, whoever, like, because Woodruff was also like 40% owned. But like, do you, you don't even have to worry most of the time about like some weird half a percent owned guy because, you don't need the nuts in those contests. So I don't have to get like absurd on the other end of the spectrum, but it's like, so what? I'm going to play, I'm going to play my four lineups and I'm going to play for Arizona to not do anything today. Right. And if they do, then I lose. And I don't, if I lose all $385, then so be it. Right. But I'm not losing $2,250. Right. At least if I play some of the high owned sex, maybe, maybe on a bad day, I put in $2,250 and I get back $800. Right. Which is, well, I mean, still, that's more than half half of what you put in, but it's not it's not minus ninety percent. It's hard to survive a lot of minus ninety percent. You know, like you're not you're not gonna you're gonna bleed, you're gonna lose a lot of money in the process, and that's why playing 150 lineups much harder than people think, right? Much much harder than people think. Uh, Brett Booth says I keep on thinking I should keep them around in small percentages to use as a second stack with under-owned teams as a blend. Yeah, no, that's fine. You can individually, those lineups are fine. Just depends on uh, how many lineups are you playing and how much of your portfolio do you want to dedicate to those, those lineups? That's a risk management decision. You can build plus EV lineups with any team, right? Well, if I'm playing the high on stacks, I'm playing the low on pitches, right? Or low on one off, right? Something like that. If I'm playing the low on stack, I can, I, fine. I can have Darlton Varsha as a one-off in that lineup, Right. You can have Dalton Varshaw in a lineup with, with two 5% owned pitchers and a 2% owned stack. And then that's fine, right? You can make that lineup, but you could you can make thousands of those lineups. But how many lineups are you playing? If you're playing 150, right? You could only play 150. So you have to, you have, there's a cutoff point of what, what are you going to do? If you're playing four, if you're playing one, like what are you going to do with one lineup? I wouldn't play the chalk in one lineup. That's stupid. Right, play to win. Don't play to cash. You're gonna bleed your money. You're gonna you lose to the rake in the long run by playing. You know, play the two highest owned pitchers and the highest owned stack in the 121. Right, especially when those the, when those players tend to be over owned because the the field condenses on that. But that this is all risk management. This is all diversification. This is not strategy. You can build a plus EV lineup with any team. Marco asked if I'm playing the showdown for Liverpool. No, I I tip, I. 
I this season I've not played showdown contests in, in soccer. I typically just play the the Premier League and Champions League main slates. And Champions League when it's more than when it's four plus teams. Now once it gets to the knockout phase, I, I typically don't play Champions League. Uh, Scorpion McScorp asked, "Do you use a max percentage of a pitcher?" I read somewhere they're playing more than forty percent of a pitcher is a bad. Well, this exposures don't matter. I will repeat this. I've said this. You could go back week. It seems like I talk about this. Exposures don't matter, right? Lineups matter. I don't want to play more than forty percent of a pitch. You could play a pitcher in hundred percent of your lineups. You could. It's about the lineup as a whole. If you're if you're going to play if you if yesterday you decided to I'm going to. I'm going to play a hundred lineups and I'm going to play the lowest owned teams as stacks, right? I'm just going to play the lowest owned teams as stacks. And if you, and if whatever picture, if you're not playing the pirates and you're like, I want to put Julio Urias in hundred percent of those lineups. Well, individually in those lineups, that makes sense. Individually in those lineups. Now, do you want to have the risk, the risk profile of a hundred of having a hundred percent exposure to a pitcher? That's, that's up to you. The individual lineups are plus EV. Your portfolio is completely plus EV. If we played this out a million times, you'd make money, right? Yeah, but on the days that Urias does poorly, you lose all your money. And the days Urias does really well, you win a lot of money, right? Like it's just the the distribution curve of your outcomes, even though the results will end up the same, is going to be much wider. Your things are going to go like this. If you spread out your diversification on plus EV lineups, it's, it'll be it'll be smaller. It's like having 20 stocks in your portfolio versus one or two, right? At the end of uh, 30 years, you end up with possibly the same amount of money, but it depends on what your what the swings are. So there's no such thing as like, never think in terms of exposures, right? Unless you've already built plus EV lineups and now it's like, well, now I have to choose, I have to choose X amount out of the 17,000 that you could make, right? That's that's the point that I that, that I made. That play whoever you want. You can, right? Well, I want to play Vars. I should I fade Varsho? Should I not fade? Well, Varsho fits perfectly fine in certain lineups, and in other lineups, not not as useful, right? A high owned one off in a lineup that's already chalky probably probably be better off not to play. But in a lineup with all one percent owned players, then why not play the highest projected player in that one? At catcher, especially when he's eligible, that's perfectly fine how you end up on whatever exposure is if are the lineups individually plus EV. That's what matters more than anything. Right. And then from that point, you could do whatever you want. I could give you, I could build 150 lineups that are plus EV and give you my exposures. I could literally say, here's my screen. I have 38% of this guy. I have 21% of that guy. I, I could just give it all to you. Just here you go. Here are my exposures, Right. You could build lineups with the exact exposures that I have, and all your lineups could be bad, right? And all my lineups could be good, right? Our, our lineup HQ screen will look exactly the same as far as the exposures on the, on the players on the one side, right? I have 40% of this picture. I have 22%. And you look through all that, and then you look at my lineups, and they look completely different than yours, right? So what are the exposures? So if that doesn't matter. The exposures don't matter. They're just a representation of your lineup portfolio as a whole. So don't concern yourselves with 
with uh, exposures until you already know that you could build plus EV lineups. Once you're building plus EV lineups, then it just comes down to which ones do you want to play and how much risk do you want to take on? And that's not a strategy question. That's what you want to do. Certain sharp players, we take a look at when we compare exposures, play a high variance, aggressive approach. And they go, where's the biggest edge, the most under-owned or whatever. And then they just, I'm going to play 150 lineups. And like, they, they, have, they have 110 stacks of one team, right? And if that team goes off, they have, a lot of, they have a lot of bullets for first place. And if that team doesn't go off, they lose a lot of money, right? And then there's some people that play a much more even, more diversified approach where they have a bit of everything, kind of, right? Each lineup is plus EV, but they'll have, they'll have three Diamondback stacks. They'll have five Angel stacks. They have like, and they'll have 12 different pictures that they're using, depending on what lineup it's in, right? So any different type of scenario, you have something, you have something going, right? Your, your, your distribution of outcomes on a, on a contest with your entries are going to be, you know, all over the place. From top to it, it's going to be more like a bell curve. When you when you uh, when you play much more condensed, like you're playing a core type of thing. I'm only going to play three pitchers. I'm only going to play four stacks and 150 lineups. And most of your lineups are going to be bunched together, right? Because not the lineups to each other are correlated, right? Because they're just like two v twos. It's the same two stacks together, just with two different batters or the different pitcher. So the lineups are going to be close together on the standings. Which one is better? There's no better. Are the lineups plus EV individually? If the answer is yes, then it doesn't matter. But it just comes down to risk management. Oh, uh, let's see. Gil Jaworski asked, how crazy would a twin stack be tonight? I've I've no idea. I've not I've not even I've barely looked at the slate tonight. I've I've no idea. You can make a plus EV lineup with the twins. I'm I'm assuming you can. Right? You could always make a plus EV lineup with any team. Jay Goral asks. Is it viable to set a total lineup ownership percentage to make mass entries easier instead of pairing chalk? I'm assuming that's chalk stacks with low and pitching, or do you end up with stacks that miss the core hitters? Now, now typically, uh, lineup ownership percentage, the max ownership, is a blunt method of doing it that is typically directionally accurate enough, right? Just make sure that what I would suggest is you run lineups first, right? And see where see what what the ownership sums of the lineups that you wouldn't want, right? And then find the one that you would, and whatever that highest number is, then put it in, and then rerun your lineups. So, like, if the two chalk stacks were coming together too much, like run it without an ownership sum, right? And then you see it's like, oh, I have the two chalk pitchers and the two five three of the two chalk teams. Well, what's the ownership sum of that? Two hundred and seventy. It's like, okay, so obviously I don't want to line it with. Because I don't want to combine all those things together. And then you scroll down and you go, okay, well, how about, you know, let me, you, you, you highlight the chalkiest stack and you go through just five man stacks of that. And you go, okay, when do I get down to like having uh, a low owned pitcher and a low owned three man or a low owned whatever like that. And maybe the ownership sum on that is 190 and you go, okay, that's fine. Right. You look at that. You finally get to that lineup. It's like, okay, that lineup's fine. And that lineup's ownership sum is 190. So then you go, it's like, okay, so how do I eliminate all the ones above it without having to run and delete stuff? Well, set your max for 190. And there you go. Maybe you look at some like, oh, if I play the two chalk pitchers together, right? 
What's the what? When do we get to low owned stacks? And you go down, you go do, 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 and you get to like two oh five, and it's like, look at that lineup it isn't bad. That that that's fine. That I think I have enough leverage in that lineup. And then you put in two oh five, right? So uh, so essentially, you're eliminating the lineups that are above it because it can't make those because it's above that ownership sum. So that's a blunt way of doing it. But you also should be doing it on the other. You could be doing it on the other side as well, looking at the minimum. Right, because then you get down. You're building 150 lineups, or how, however many you do, and at the bottom you get lineups that are projected much lower. And it's the two, it's the it's two low owned pitchers and two low owned stacks together. And the ownership sum is 56. Right, and you go, is this a little too contrarian? Right, in baseball, some leaning towards contrarianism. A lot of times that lineup may still be okay to play. Right. You may still be fine with that line because the variance in baseball is so, you know, range of outcomes is so wide as it is. But maybe you go to the bottom and you see, okay, yeah, this is too contrarian, too contrarian, too. And then you get up to a lineup where it's like, okay, now I'm now I like that mix. And maybe the ownership sum of that lineup is 90. Right. So you sort by ownership sum the other way. And you go, okay, I'm fine with this. This is a nice, a nice blend right here. It's still contrarian because it's only 90 ownership sum. It's not 190. It's not 205. And then that's what you'd put in the minimum. So to prevent, to be less likely to get two low-owned stacks and two low-owned pitches together, only because it just goes along with like the exposures that you have, right? And then once you once you find those lineups, you just, you set that barrier. You cut it off somewhere. You cut it off on the top. You cut it off at the bottom and then re- rebuild your lineups, right? That would be a blunt methodology of doing it. That's a lot of times what I do, Right. But I'm not doing that. There's no number from the start. You have to go through the lineups and judge it for yourself. And then people are going to ask, well, what's the exact number? There's no. I'm literally doing it the way that I described. I'm scrolling through and making a judgment call, right? Making a judgment call of, is this does this lineup have enough leverage? No, no math formula, no simulations, no nothing. Just going down, it's like, is the mix good enough? Oh, well, I'm, I have this three man that's three, three percent, three percent, three percent. And instead of the two 40 percent on pitchers, I have a 10 percent on pitcher. I said, I think this is good enough for the size contest that I'm in, right? Obviously, if you're playing the smaller field, right, you don't, you don't be as contrarian. Uh, in the large field, you should be a little bit more contrarian. So, you, I, I, I look and I'm, I judge you literally just judge from there, and you go, okay, I think that's enough, right? And then anything below it would be fine. And then you judge the bottom and you go, is that, is that, is that too contrary? Well, what's the number? There's, there's no exact number, right? Unless you're running simulations, you would, you would never know. Ownership sum obviously is not, is, is not anything you'd be, that's such a blunt m- method of doing it. That wouldn't be exact anyway. Directionally accurate, but not exact. And then you judge it at that point. And you cut off the bottom, you cut off the top, and then you try to build lineups right in the middle. Uh, what lineups fit together within this ownership sum and this combination of players? You know how many lineups you could find like that for large field GPP? Tens of thousands. We have a 12 game slate. You could probably show me 20,000 lineups. And I would go, okay, that looks good. I think that's fine for a large. I think that's plus EV for this large field contest. 20,000 lineups. And they, they, they have all different teams. Obviously, the, the better projected teams. They're going to be more. They're going to be more of those lineups than the lower projected teams. The under-owned lineups. There's going to be more of those than the over-owned lineups. There's still what twenty thousand lineups to choose from, right? So just choose them. Especially when one swing of a bat is fourteen points in MLB. 
NBA, it's NBA, it's not, it's not as much like that. Right? Giving up 14 points in NBA is a lot. So you may not, you may, you may not be playing lineups that are 25 points, 30 points below, below like optimal. Because you could find 10,000 lineups before that point. In baseball, dude, the difference between the top and the bottom could be 50 points and like Team goes on a run for an inning, and you make that up in a you know make that up in a span of a half an hour. <sighs> right, that's why Ryan Moth in the chat is like, "Is there a typical projected ownership number you try?" No, this I, I literally just explained this. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Alex says people think 150 lineups is simpler. Don't understand how much human element goes into curating the portfolio. The main thing that you should be doing, okay? I say this so many times. Build one plus EV lineup. That's it. Build one. You can play the large field GPP. Just build one line. Build three lineups. Build five lineups. By hand, right? Use the projections in lineup HQ. Use, you know, you could use the tool to do research, but build them or choose them. Right? You don't even have to build by hand. Run a bunch, run 300 lineups and choose three of them, right? Then make then build five, then build 10, then build 20, then build 40, then 50, then 60. Within then within two years from now, now you have enough experience to build 150 and be confident that most, if not all, of your 150 are good lines or plus EV lines. Right? We got to start with one, then move to three, then move, then move up like that. Don't go directly into, voila, no, I got to play 150. Do, do, do you know how to build one? Do you know how to build five? Because all you're going to be doing is throwing your money away, right? You're going to feel like, oh, look, I got a chance because I got so many bullets, right? And then you're going to see at the end of a season, you're like, why am I down $12,000, right? In the mini max, right? You're playing, you're playing, you're playing to the, 20, the $4.20 max or something. And so, you know, at the end, at the end of the season, even, even playing $100 a day, Right for two hundred days, you're, you're, you're like, why am I at the end of the season? You're down four or five thousand dollars, and you're like, yeah, but I was I came in eighth in this one, and I came in seventeenth or whatever. It's like, did you come in like? Who knows if you were even building good lineups? You don't know, right? If you don't know, if you don't know how to judge one lineup, how are you judging one hundred and fifty lineups? How do you determine if a lineup is plus EV? If the projection versus own the blend of projection versus ownership is commensurate with the size of the contest that you're playing. Now, MLB also building in correlation. In order to do it more exactly, you would need to simulate the contests, okay? So simulate the contest. And I know that the response is going to be, well, I don't know how to do that, right? And even if you knew how to do it, doing that well is extremely hard, even for the people that are the even nerdy tenor who has his proprietary algorithms and stuff and does all these simulations and everything and anti-competitive measures. Even it's hard for him. To, he doesn't even know if like his, his process is perfect, right? So what the hell are you going to do? All you have is blunt methodologies to do so. So is the projection of the lineup plus the correlation? Remember, there's three levers, projection, correlation, leverage. Right? What is the mix of the three? Where does where are the lines where plus EV lineups exist more often than not? The high projection lineups 
are have in baseball have little correlation because basically you're just playing the like the best point per dollar median plays. You'd be playing a lineup that has almost no correlation, right? And the two and probably you're playing the most owned players off. So basically, projection leverage are all, all levers all the way up. Correlation and leverage levers are all the way down. That lineup is in in a large field GPP. That lineup is negative, right? You're maximizing for a 50th percentile outcome. Yeah, yeah. That lineup has a great shot at minimum cash and more than other lineups. But you're not going to minimum cash enough at the at the at the 25th percentile, the 75th percentile, or whatever 78th, whatever the payout line is in a GPP. You're not going to get there often enough, right? So that how and it, you barely you barely have any first place equity at all. It's, it's a it's a it's a chalky lineup that's uncorrelated, right? You might as well throw your money away at that point. So high projected lineups are negative EV. Let's say now we now we we r- ramp up the leverage column and go. I'm going to play two one percent owned pitchers and two one percent owned stat two one percent owned all one percent owned players. No correlation though. Right. Well, that line is negative EV. Also, it projects for sixty points lower than than other lineups in the contest, and and has no correlation. Right. So that that leverage levers all the way up, and the projection and correlation levers are all the way down. Well, that's a negative EV lineup. Also, let's say you just ramp up the correlation, just just correlation, and you leave the projection and the and the leverage lineups down. Right. So now 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 all you now all you're doing is. You're you're playing a a lineup that's that yeah you're right it's a five it's a five three lineup and two pitchers that I'm playing two low owned pitchers and uh and two low owned uh, f- stacks of five three maximizing correlation on DraftKings well that may still be minus EV you may the, the projection could be forty five fifty points lower and the, you could find a better lineup with the same ownership with a better projection. Right, you could probably find you could probably five hundred thousand lineups that are better than that with similar ownership enough that it's not worth it to play that lineup in comparison to other lineups that are in the contest. So that's a negative EV lineup. So where is the line? You have and when, once you start raising that correlation lever and that project and that leverage lever, that projection lever starts coming down. Right, you're lowering your median projection to increase the variance of your lineup. Okay, so where is that line? Right, right. Do you have to play five three lineups on DraftKings? No, there are some four three one lineups that are way better than five three lineups, right? Because it's like, oh, do I play the fifth guy in the stack or do I take him out and play the guy that has a three point higher projection? At the if it was at the same ownership, you'd be sacrificing a little bit of correlation. You won't be sacrificing any ownership, and you're getting a you're getting an outcome that has three, three points high. That may be that may be a better lineup than the five three line how much is correlation worth well it's not the be all end all probably you're still not playing eight one offs right but there's some four three lineups that are better than five three lineups there are some five one 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 lineups that are better than five two one lineups right you're more likely to find five three five two one five one one four three one more so than the three two two one type of lineups but there are three two two one type of lineups that have a higher EV than the five three lineups, depending on what what two teams and what pitchers and what the projection is. So those levers, you're trying to find where most of those plus EV lineups are. How what le- where do I have to put those levers in order to find it? And unless you have simulations, unless you have unless, unless do you have do you have a supercomputer 
right? Unless you know how to do that, right? You're not gonna you're not gonna get it exact. You're not, you're not gonna get close to exact. But you could be more you'd be more likely to find plus CV lineups by finding the right blend. So what I said before about projection versus ownership that's the name of the game in DFS GPPs. Those three levers. So where is that line on this given slate? Not in general, not of, these are the, these are the settings that you put in and you'll always get that. No, that, 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 that doesn't apply. You have to judge it for every slate, right? A three game slate is different than a 12 game slate. A same slate with two grossly mispriced pitchers for their projection is different than another seven game slate. There's a 10 game slate with three games that, that are possibly going to get rain out or but possibly not. So the ownership could go, who knows, Right. Do you take a shot at one of those games? That, that, that's a different context. Every slate is different. It's like playing poker hands. Like, dude, every poker hand is different because you're not going to be playing against the same nine people or whoever, however many at the table, different positions, right? All you have to do is take the set, the nine people that are at the table with you and say, get up and everyone play musical chairs. And then next thing you know, every hand is going to be different now. Is you're going to be on the right or the left of different people now. Change the stacks. If you're playing no limits, change the stack sizes, right? If you're playing, if you're playing a cash game, there's a, there's a big difference in how you play hands when, uh, you know, you're, you're playing, you're playing a one, two, no limit, 300 max game. And you have a thousand and the biggest fish at the table is 3000 because he's gotten lucky and ran over the table. It's like, Oh, now you play hands differently, but it's much different than when you you're sitting there with a thousand bucks and everyone has a hundred bucks in front of them and they're all weak type players. Right now, you're playing hands differently in those. Right? Is it worth playing speculative hands? Are you calling? Are you calling twelve dollar raises when everyone has a hundred bucks in front of them with three four suited? Probably not. Right in that context. But you tell me that everyone's deep stacked, especially when you're playing against players that don't know how to play deep stacked. Then you're more likely. Oh, fine. I'll call that raise because it's only it's 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 like it's one percent of my stack of, of each of our stack our effective stack size. It's like, okay, the implied odds are there to do it, especially when you're up against an opponent that's going to be making mistakes and you have position on them, right? Let's say they're on the other side of you. Well, now you played it slightly differently. So it's the same thing as in poker asking, like, can you just give me hand charts, right? Uh, what, what, what hands to play in what positions and what it like, like, like it's blackjack basic strategy. That doesn't exist. The players in the game will always be different. The positions will be different. The, the stack sizes will be different. So there'll be certain cases where you're raising with ace king. There's certain cases where you're folding with ace king. Certain hands you're calling. Certain hands you're checking on the flop when you hit. Sometimes you check. You raise like it's all it's all dependent on all of that. So the same thing applies to DFS. That's why there's no magic settings, right? You say on this slate, here's the here's here's where I believe the range of the right mix of projection ownership and correlation lies. And there's probably fifteen thousand lineups that satisfy that. Right. So it's, I'm more likely if I were to choose 150, most like most likely 90 percent of my lineups are going to be plus EV to some extent. Right. And especially if you're playing the large field contest, you're in with a lot of weaker players. So your average lineup EV is more likely to be higher than other than other uh, than the field, your opponents. Now, if you're playing higher stake stuff, you're playing a 200 person field. Yep your lineup has to be a little bit better because people aren't building as many bad lineups. 
But in a large field contest, you may find 20% of the field is building lineups that are significantly worse than your worst lineup, right? You build 150 and it's like people's best lineups aren't even better than your 150th lineup. Then that, that's, that's your goal when you're building 150 lineups. And so I, I hope, I hope that, that, that that's a good explanation on that. I also wanted to cover uh, this, this concept, which applies mostly to like showdown, small field stuff, MMA, right? Small, small, small player pool stuff, like a golf event with only 24 golfers, like those types of things. NBA showdown, NFL showdown, League of Legends even, I guess, with, with, two, with only two games or something, is, is the importance of thinking in terms of combinations, okay? So I want to show you, like, uh, we had a 15 fight. Well, it ended up being a 14 fight, but I mean, people got screwed with the canceled fight after lock. So it's technically a 15 fight card. And here in results DB, uh, obviously we know in a, in a, in a, you know, smaller player pool type contest, large field duplication matters a lot. The more your lineup is duped, your EV goes significantly down. Okay. So your goal is to not, not necessarily get uniques, but build lineups that are less likely to be duped as many times compared to their expectation, right? If your expectation on a lineup is low, you don't want to dupe 18 times, right? But you may not mind to dupe three times, right? A high expectation lineup, you probably can't assume that it's going to be duped. You have to assume it's probably going to be duped five to 10 times, but you wouldn't want it to be duped 25 times, right? But thinking in terms of combinations on how you can find unique lineups and finding unique lineups, to me, at least, my process is based on finding the non-uniques, right? I'm not going in looking for uniques or under fives. I aim for under fives. I don't mind sharing with three other people for 100K or two other people or one other person, right? So it doesn't have to be unique, but I'm, I'm aiming for under fives. Uh, Think in terms of combinations. You People overestimate the amount of combinations that are available within the salaries construction when you pair certain fight uh, fighters together or players together, okay? This applies to all sports, especially correlated sports, right? Like baseball. Well, if I play these five guys and this, this one pitcher on a three-game slate, how many combinations are there? Now, in baseball, there's a lot more players to choose from, so there's a lot more combinations, but in something like MMA, we could take a look here because we look at duplicates, right? Here's a lineup duplicate 129 times. The two main event favorites, Chandler, Chaos Williams, Gatto, Ariana Carnalos. Like if you played this lineup, you're, you're throwing money, right? You're playing an 89 dupe lineup. You're throwing money away, right? Look, look at all these dupes. 40s like i'm not aiming for these lineups these lineups are negative ev they just dupe too many times if you win first place with with a 50 duped lineup you're winning what i don't even know what the, what the for that slate maybe you have a total pool of 500 divided by 50 you're winning what maybe not even that much nine grand it's like oh great i'd love to win nine grand or eight grand or two grand depending on how how many times it's duped but Remember, my lineup that is only duped twice could win, what, $175,000? Your lineup could only win nine, right? From the start, from 
from the time you upload your lineups from 5.01 p.m., from that one minute after lock, my, your lineups have a max chance of winning X, my, and we're paying the same amount for it, okay? Duplication is bad for you, okay? Now, there are lineups that can be duplicated and still be plus EV because their expectation is much higher than others, right? But typically, that's not in the 30s and 40s. That, that's not even in the 20s. Like maybe you could find some that are duplicated 12, 15 times that have a high enough expectation that when, you, when it wins, it's still plus EV, but that's even kind of rare. So that's why like under fives is like that, 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 that sweet spot where you can find plenty of lineups that even though they're duped three times, four times, is still plus EV for, for the contest sizes that we have in MMA, okay? But if we take a look at the dupes here, what do they have in common? So this is how I start my process in MMA. What are the lineups that I don't want to play, right? You start from not, how do I get unique? It's more of what lineups do I eliminate? Or what types of lineups do I eliminate? So look, you have two main event fighters, right? There were two five-round fights on Saturday out of 15. Oliveira and Amiunas. Here's Gagey Esparza, right? Two, two fighters from... The two five-round fights, one of each, right? Gagey, Namayunas, Oliveira, Namayunas. So, and there's Oliveira, Esparza. You start going down, and other than some one weird example, someone put in, like, someone put in some lineup that was duped 37 times for, I don't know, just weird combination. All of these lineups have one thing in common. They have two five-round fighters in it, okay? Obviously, the winning lineup on Saturday only had one five-round fighter in it. So you go through and you go, okay, you take a look at the ownership of this, right? Gagey, 44%, Namayunas, 42%, Oliveira, 41%, as far as the 30%. Those are the five-round fighters. Then you have Fialio at 38%, and he's a $9,500 fighter. $9,600 fighter, 28%. Kalen Williams, Chaos Williams, 28%. Gatto, 28%. And like, okay, so if a lot of people are playing two, two uh, five-round fighters together, we could even look. They have a stack seeker uh, function in results DB. We go, okay, how many lineups in this contest played the two main event five-rounders? 11.767%, okay? How many played that with Fialia? 1.74%, 258 lineups, okay? How many played uh, the two underdogs? You know, Namayunas Gagey, 12%. How many people played uh, Esparza Gagey? 9%. If you add all of these up, which, which I did, in, in 35,000 entries in this contest, 47% of the lineups had at least had two five-round fighters in it, right? 47%, okay? And then out of those, half of those lineups had either Fialio, Chandler, Chaos, and Gatto in it. Out of those lines, that's those are those are all the dupe line. I mean, you go back to the dupes that I'm describing what the dupe lineups look like. So simply by not playing that type of combination, you've eliminated, you've reduced your chance of duplication over ten times by not playing those lineups. Because to find a unique lineup that has Fialio, let's say Fialio, as far as a uh, not even a Spartan, Nami Yunus Gagey, 2.56, 380 lineups. I'm pretty sure there aren't 
380 combinations that you could possibly, on a 15-game slate, maybe a little bit more. Right, here's the player exposures and matching lineups. So you have Tony Ferguson. Like, like you'd have to play Cameron Van Camp, right? Well, well, no, you'd play Van, with Fialio, probably not. That's a stack. So it's like Norma Dumont. Like, how, like you see here that how many combinations are there? There aren't as many combinations as you think. Now, on a 15-5 card, there's way more. So let's go to this coming slate, just to show as an example, right? I'm not saying this is what the ownership is going to be or anything for this slate. I have no idea. I had to put in ones here because we don't even have projections for it yet because it's Tuesday, okay? It's an 11 fight car, which makes it much smaller than a 15, right? There's only 22 fighters to choose from. There's one five-round fight that people tend to play too often, right? It's Rakic Blahovich, right? I'm going to assume, let's just say that I'm just using an example that Maximov, Kudalaba, Rakic, and and uh, where's Blahovich are going to be the most owned fighters on the slate. Let's just say I'm using an extreme example, 50%. Okay. So the combination of 50%, 50% plus 45%, you could do a rudimentary calculation of that of how many line how how many what percent of the field will play all three together so 0.5 times 0.5 times 0.45 or something like that that's 11.25 percent of lines that'll play all three they'll play play 11.25 percent will play with rackage and 11.25 percent will play with blahovich right those two fighters and a main and a main event five rounder in it Okay, so that's 11. That's that's a total of uh, what? Twenty two and a half percent. Okay, so we're going to posit that about twenty two and a half percent of lineup in the large field contest. Is going to have that type of that type of combination. Okay, now, how many lineups are in in the large field contest this week? I think thirty two thousand. Okay, thirty two thousand times. Twenty point two two five. That's seventy two hundred lineups that we could estimate that will have that combination. Like assuming, like I said, I'm, I'm, this is an example. I'm not saying this is actually going to be true on Saturday, right? I'm just using this as an example, right? So we're going to go, okay, 7,200 line, 7, lineups are going to be Maximov plus Kudalaba plus one of Rakic or Blahovich. Okay, 7,200. Well, why don't you just lock them in and see what the lineups look like? Okay, so I'm going to lock in Maximov, Kudalaba, and Rakic. Rackage. And I'm going to try to build 300 lineups because you have three slots remaining, average salary of 7,700. So, how many combinations of those three fighters could there possibly be? It's not going to be 7,200, right? I'm going to build 300. It's not going to go to 300. It's going to go to until it, until it figures it. All right, they had 69. There you go. Perfect. The 69 line. That's the mo- that's uh, w- without playing a stack, obviously, which is typically minus EV regardless. So the 69 uh, non-stacked lineups that are available. Well, 7,200 divided by 69. That's an average duplication of 104, right? Of that, if, if that was true, if we had 50% of fighters, they're not going to Maximov and Kudalov are not going to be that high, right? I'm just using an extreme example. So why would you, the, there's no combination 
like the average duplication of the lineup with these three fighters in it, estimate. There's a blunt, blunt way of doing it. 104 times. So like, what, shouldn't you just make a group to just never play this? You just, you'd be better off just never not playing a lineup like that looks like this, right? We could go to Blahovich, right? Blahovich is cheaper. So there's going to be more combinations available to us because you're going to leave money on the table. So let's go to Blahovich, Maximoff, Rakic, and Blahovich. And then just run it. Run. We could go up to a max of 300. 8,100 remaining average salary. I don't think we're going to, we're going to, we're not going to get to 300. We're going to get way past 69, though, because we, we could leave money on the table. Right. So we're 150, 155. Right. All bunch. Because I set the minimum salary of whatever. It doesn't matter. Oh, maybe, maybe we actually, maybe we actually get to 300. So I guess there's a lot of lineups with multiple with multiple underdogs. Okay, now we're going to get it. Where do we go? Okay, 234. Okay, quit out at that. So there's 234, so let's do that. We said that there's 7,200 lineups that may look like that. Divide that by 234 with an average duplication, estimate the blunt way of about 30, okay? So actually, these lineups... If maybe, maybe, you know, maybe can you find under tens of these? Maybe. Obviously, lineups that leave a lot of money on the table. Like the average duplication, like was 30, but there may be some that are duplicated 80 times and some that are duplicated three times, right? So that's like the average. But it's so high that maybe this combination you don't you say you're more likely to find uniques by not playing these three fighters together, right? Because how many combinations of the remaining three fighters are there? Right? How many combinations are there? There's only 234. How many lineups will there be with this already, these three fighters, where we already estimated about 7,200? Right? Let's say we add another, well, let's say we add another fighter to this. Let's say we say that, uh, that uh, based on this, we're going to get uh, uh, Alan Patrick against Michael Johnson is going to be 30%. He's going to be the highest owned underdog outside of the Blahovich, the main event underdog. Let's just say. He's going to be 30% owned. So if we take away Blahovich and go Maximov, Kuvalaba, Rakic, Patrick, okay? So what's now we have to go estimated 0.5 times 0.5 times 0.45 times 0.3, okay? That's 3.375% of lineups, okay? How many lineups are in the contest, right? Let's capture that i'll so i have my little calculator out that's you can't see uh so i'm now going to put in thirty-two thousand times that number times point oh three okay 1080 lineups we'll have that combination do you how many combinations of other two fighters left with 7650 do you think there possibly could be right let's build 16. Why would you ever play? Why would you play a large field contest with this lineup with these four fighters together with those ownerships, like the way they are, you could just eliminate them, set up a group and say, never do this. Right. Let's say you play it with Bohovic. So then now there's a little bit more combinations because he's cheaper. Right. And you can leave money on the table. So you build three, you put in 300 and go, okay, where does it stop? 53. 
Okay. Is it, is it worth it? There's, there's going to be 1,080 lineups that look like that, but there's only a grand total of 53 combinations of that. Right. So this is a lot that this, these are the types of things that I would do. Look at that and go, what's the chances of me finding a lineup that's under five dupes with this combination? Very small. Right. So like on the past late, if you wanted to just say, Never play Fialio and two main event fighters together. That would be a group that you and just like that's going to be duped too much, right? And you find where the things are going to be duped too much and you weed them out immediately. So knowing how people are going to build their lineups together to see what the combinations are. And the, the more fighters you add to that, the less combinations there are, right? See how many combinations of just Maximoff plus a main event fighter. See how many combinations there are. Right. Once you start adding a couple of fighters, especially in an 11 fight card, you start running into you, you put in at 300 and you never get 300. And you see how many lineups in comparison. And sometimes you go, well, what's the lowest owned fighter? And you put, how many lineups should I expect to see that have this combination of these three or four fighters? These three fighters, this combination, maybe you only see 80, right? And you go, well, how many combinations of those three fighters Plus, you know, then you go, it's like, oh, like there's going to be 80 lineups that look like this and there are 12 combinations. So it's like, well, the average, maybe, maybe, maybe there's, there's 18 combinations and you go, okay, 80 divided by 18 is four. It's like, oh, that's under five. Okay. I don't mind those combinations. I want to play a bunch of those combinations. Right. So thinking in terms of combinations. And the concept still applies to other sports as well. It's not as binary. It's not as like linear. It's, this is easy to see in MMA. But think in those terms of, oh, I'm going to play five, three lineups, right, in baseball with the two most expensive pitchers. And I'm going to play, I'm going to play two most expensive pitchers in the Dodgers as a five-man. How many combinations of those lineups are there going to be? They average out the ownership or something. You could eyeball it even and go, well, if I play that and I go, okay, I got to play three a three-man stack, and you go, well, the Diamondbacks are the, the, for salary are the ones that fit. It's like, well, they're owned also. There aren't as many combinations as you think, right? It's like, well, if I don't play the Diamondbacks as a three-man, what, what teams fit as a three-man? Oh, Indians, maybe, maybe. And you're playing three cheap guys. Like, how many combinations are there? And the more owned your lineup gets, the more, the more lineups in the contest have that type of lineup, and you're restricting what you can play in the other two spots or something in your lineup that there really aren't the, as many combinations as you think. You can do that for showdown, right? I'm going to play, I'm going to play this wide receiver and captain, right? I'm going to play the quarterback with them, right? And I'm going to play the, the, the high owned running back on the other side of the game. And then you have three more spots, left, right? And you go, well, how many combinations are there? Right. Compare. Look at the ownership of those, the captain and those two, but multiply them together. Get a general feel of how, you know, how owned because it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't consider correlation. So it's not it's not going to be exact. You go, okay. there's about there's one hundred and twenty thousand entries in this contest. And this combination of this and captain and these two two guys is going to take up a two percent of the lines in the contest in total. Of 120,000, right? So two percent, that's what? 2,400 lineups or something? What? 120,000 times 0.02, right? 
right? 2,400 lineups. Okay, there's three spots left. How many combinations of the three spots are there, right? And you may automatically exclude like the, the $100 guys that, you know, that's on the bottom that may not even get any snap, like, like literally have a projection of zero. So you kind of get rid of those guys. You go, how many reasonable combinations are there left? And you go, reasonable combinations. Maybe you could run into Excel. Like at this point, you're probably going to get over 300, right? And you go, well, if there's, if there's 1,200 combinations, that means average duplication of two. You're probably fine. You're, now you're fine. But if the combination, those three players that are left, like the, the, the combination is 30, then it's probably going to be duped too much. And you may see that when you run 300 lineups, that if you spend all of your salary, those are the ones like average duplication eight. But it's a lot of, if you spend all your salary, you're going to get a duplication of 80. And if you leave 6,000 on the table, you're going to get a duplication of two, three, four, maybe, maybe a unique, something like that. So thinking in terms of combinations, just the mindset. Remember, I teach in, in, in the scope of concepts how to think, the mindset of playing DFS, how to think like a DFS player. That's why I made the theory of DFS. Theory of daily fantasy sports, how to think like a professional DFS player. This doesn't have the formulas. I won't, it, this won't teach you how to build simulations and, and projections and everything, but it'll teach you what they all are. How to use all these tools and think in terms of probability, in terms of statistics, in terms of game theory, right? How to balance that out. Will it get you exact there? No, it's very hard to get exactly there. If you think in these terms and play in this, in this manner, utilizing game theory, you are more likely than not to become a profitable player. Because even the computer simulations, is the, is the, it's doing these things anyway. And it, probably in a little bit more exact manner. What Nerdy Tenor does, right? Daniel Hutchins in the chat, right? Typically, he's getting lineups that look like mine. I mean, I look at his lineup. I go, he's getting lineups that look like mine. But his diversification may be slightly different, right? He's playing a little bit more balanced. But from a from a ownership versus projection standpoint, his lineups look very similar to the lineups that I play in the contest that we play together, right? Sometimes I screw up, right? Sometimes he screws up. Sometimes CSV errors, and who knows? You know, commas in the wrong spot. And next thing you know, you have 68% of a guy for no reason, right? Sometimes that type of stuff happens. For the most part, you can get to that point too. You just have to think in these terms. So even if you're hand building one lineup, even if you're playing a three max contest, even if you're not playing large field, you are playing large field, you're playing 150, you're playing two lineups. It's still the same game. This is the game of DFS. And if you want to get this type of content. I mean, I explained this type of stuff in the course. So if you want a nice 15 hour seminar that encompasses all of it, right. Rather than having to go through all these pregame shows and find all the little spots through 500 hours to get everything, just go to theoryofdfs.com. You can even see the contents and you can see the chapters, testimonials and everything. Theoryofdfs.com. Give me, give me the thumbs ups on your way out the door. We covered some stuff. We got a nice, uh, nice teaching, teaching session today in, right? We talked about some stuff and, uh, and hit that subscribe button. If you're new here, hit the notification bell to know when we go live. We've got live locked with Grant on the scores and odds channel at 2 p.m. Eastern. We got grinders live later at, uh, at five with Dean and the guys and crunch time right after that, which is free all season presented by FanDuel. 
So he got Roth with the weather. I don't think there's really anything weather-wise based on the weather report I've seen from him. I think it'll be a, be a, a quiet day on the weather front, but they'll be leading you up to lock on crunch time. Uh, so hit those thummy thumbs on your way out the door. And uh, and yeah, and uh, we'll go over this 12-game slate tomorrow. And uh, no, actually, no, programming note, next two days, because there's an early slate, we're doing Grinders Live. Typically like Wednesdays and Thursdays, right? You'll see, you'll see, you won't see the pregame show thumbnail, right? You'll see the, the Grinders Live thumbnail. But when, whenever there's a Grinders Live early in the day, and I'm, it, it's basically this show becomes that show. So I'll be, I'll be on with Dean, right? And we'll actually be talking about this, the early the afternoon slate, whatever, whatever slate that comes up early in the day uh, tomorrow and Thursday. And then I'll be back on, on Friday for, for a normal pregame show. That's the way it works, right? We get pre, this show gets preempted whenever there's an early MLB slate, uh, but I'm on the show anyway. So I'll see you tomorrow, no matter what, right? But it'll be for Grinders Live. <coughs> and then we'll be back to answering your DFS strategy questions as I always do on Friday, right? That I do on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com. 